this morning Bible prophecy God's order of events and uh, I want to open in prayer so bow your hearts with me as we get into his word Father God we love you and again it is always a privilege first and foremost as we stand before you the creator of all life Lord what a privilege to know you what an honor to be a son dear God and, and just just to know you personally oh God Lord what a privilege it is today to stand before your people and Lord, as I always ask by your Holy Spirit, I ask that you open the scriptures to our hearts. Allow the word of God to challenge us. Allow it to remove fear and remove confusion. Allow it, dear God, to, uh, uh, to strengthen our lives and give us peace in these troublesome times. Now, Lord, we give you all the honor. We bind every scheme of the enemy that would try to hinder the word. And we ask for an open heaven today. In Jesus' name, amen. I really love this message, Bible Prophecy, God's Order of Events. And you look here, I love this picture. This picture is a really, it's, it's, a, it's a conglomeration of prophecy things. Uh, you have the beast out of the sea, Revelation 13. You have the beast out of the earth, uh, Revelation 13 as well. This is the false prophet. Uh, this is the Antichrist kingdom, the system of Antichrist coming from a multitude of people. You have the battle of Armageddon. You have Christ in prophecy. You have Israel. So a lot of things related to prophecy. You know, people are wondering, you know, if the world, <clears throat> if God is in, in such control, why is the world like it is? Well, I want to tell you this morning that God is in control and he has a divine order. Nothing that is going on, even in Ukraine, nothing is going on today that God uh, has, has been caught off guard by. Uh, we're going to see today that everything is under his control and God has a plan to take us to an eternal state. And we're going to see that as we go forward. Now, I want to bring in our prophecy chart. It's a dispensational chart. And everything you see on this first line will be things that would take place in the heavens prophetically. Everything on this middle line will be things that would transpire on the earth prophetically. And then everything below is those events that would transpire in the underworld uh, based on God's prophetic word. And again, we're going to see some amazing things this morning. Now, I'm a topical teacher and I, I like to deal with topics. So our first topic would be what is Bible prophecy? I want to define it. What is Bible prophecy? Then we're going to look at what does the Bible say about God and Bible prophecy or God's relationship to Bible prophecy? Then we're going to look at why should we study Bible prophecy? Why should your pastor host a Bible prophecy conference in September? Why should your, your, your pastor allow a prophecy teacher to come in and share the word? Why should your pastor teach? Your pastor teaches it. He teaches Bible prophecy. Why? Well, I'm going to give you a number of reasons why we should. And then we're going to close up looking at an overview of Bible prophecy. And what I'm going to do in the latter part, I'm going to bring up our prophecy chart, and we're going to walk you through the chart from the present age all the way to the eternal state, and we'll do it in the time that we have, all right? All right? All right. All right, I'm going to start off here with this uh, uh, wonderful verse found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 uh, through 21. The apostle Peter wrote this. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, 
until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I love this, these scriptures so much, especially when I'm, I'm teaching on Bible prophecy. What I love here in verse 20 says, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. You know what God did? He did not give all the prophets, oh, he, he didn't give one prophet all of the prophecies. What he did, he gave one prophet, Micah, a prophecy. He gave Isaiah prophecies. He gave Zechariah prophecies. In that, he protected the integrity of his prophetic word. Not only that, but the Bible says these holy men of God of old, they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit and they began to write under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And uh, these men, uh, they long to see the day that we are witnessing today. You know, we live in a time now where these prophecies are coming to pass and we have a panoramic view of what God is doing. You know, there are so many events that are happening scripturally that it's almost hard to keep up with it. But we are living in some amazing times. And again, we're going to see some beautiful things uh, this morning. Now, I want to quote from uh, the late Dr. Chuck Missler uh, in regards to Bible prophecy. Listen to what he says. He said, we don't take prophecy seriously because it's in the Bible. We take the Bible seriously because of the track record of his prophecies. One of the number one questions I get all the time, Brother Perkins, how do you know this Bible you have is the correct one? What about the, the Book of Mormon, the Book of Quran, you know, different other books that are out there? Why is that Bible? How do you know that's the right one? Well, one way we know is because the track record of prophecy. I share it again. It's like a current day newspaper. This book is centuries old, but we are seeing things that was prophesied centuries ago that are literally coming to pass in our time. We can prove. It proves the validity of the word of God. You can trust the word of God, saints. You can trust it. I want to quote one other scholar here. This is uh, Dr. Richard Booker from his book, The End of All Things is at Hand. Listen to what he says. He says, when we study the Bible and world history, we see that God has a plan for mankind and that he is actively moving world events forward to fulfill that plan. He has written these events in the Bible so we can know his plan and see it unfold throughout the pages of world history. It is all there in the Bible. We just have to take time to study for ourselves. I want to encourage you in these latter days to become a student of the word and become a student of the prophetic word. God will open the scriptures to you to give you understanding of where we are. And truly, we're going to see some amazing things this morning. So we start by looking at what is Bible prophecy? What is this teaching of Bible prophecy? Well, what is Bible prophecy? Bible prophecy signifies the speaking forth of the mind and counsel of God. In other words, if you want to know what God thinks about the future, you need to study Bible prophecy because he will tell you exactly how the future is going to look. What is Bible prophecy? Prophecy is not necessarily nor even primarily foretelling. It is the declaration of that which cannot be known by natural means. It is the forth telling of the will of God whether with reference to the past, the present, or the future. And I love this. It's the forth telling of the will of God. God is telling us what he's going to do in advance. You know, as a son and daughter of God, he has allowed us to understand the future. He has, he has included us in understanding what he's going to do. This is one reason why for we, the redeemed, uh, the future should not be uh, some dreary thing, you know, some spooky thing, some scary thing. Ooh, ooh. I said this morning, 
when you hear end times, automatically you think of a negative. End times, ooh, end times, negative. No, for the righteous and the redeemed, when you hear end times, it should be a positive because our future is going to be so blessed based on the word of God. We're going to see that this morning. Bible prophecy takes the fear out of the end times. A lot of Christians are terrified of these times. Now, quoting Dr. John W. Bradbury from his book, A Sure Word of Prophecy, listen to what he says about prophecy. Now, this is a little the- theological, but I got to give it to you to help you understand. He said this, Christians' eschatology, and I'm going to explain that word in a few minutes, and prophecy are interwoven into the, in the teachings of the Bible to such an extent that the knowledge of the first is limited to the extent that we comprehend the second. He goes on to say this, every doctrine of the Christian faith has its conclusion or culmination uh, in, uh, in that future, which is the burden of biblical prophecy. And ignorance of this prophecy or any perversion of it seriously affects one's concept of the pure faith. It is for this reason, therefore, that a clear biblical expression concerning Bible prophecy is necessary. You know, saints, you must understand the end of the story correctly. If you don't understand the end of the story correctly, it's going to affect what you believe in the middle. If you don't understand the Genesis record complete, it's going to also affect what you believe in the middle. When you got the beginning right and the ending right, your middle will connect so beautifully. You got to have the whole counsel of God. You know, Paul said, I have not shunned, King James, I have not shunned to give you the whole counsel of God. And uh, we're going to see today that Bible prophecy is so intertwined and all through the scriptures, it's all there. And God has so beautifully placed it there. Now, he used the term eschatology. I teach in a number of Bible colleges. Uh, That term, what does it mean, eschatology? Eschatology is a division of systematic theology dealing with the doctrine of last things, such as death, resurrection, the second coming of Christ, the end of the age, divine judgment, the future state. It properly includes all that was prophetic of future events when recorded in the scriptures. Biblical eschatology assumes that the scripture predicts future events with infallible accuracy and constitutes a divine disclosure of the future. He goes on to say this, eschatology is not designed to satisfy curiosity but to provide an intelligent comprehension of the future as a guide for a present program and a sure ground of hope. I love this teaching because it gives you a sure ground of hope. You know, the Lord wants you to know what you believe about the future. He wants you to know uh, about the future correctly. You know, we've been taught a lot of stuff, especially on YouTube. Be careful with some of the YouTube preachers. Now, I'm out there too, but you got to be careful. They They got some flakes out there. I will say that. They got some flakes out there. You got to be very, very careful. Uh, God wants you to have a firm foundation about your future. You know, we've been taught stuff like I was taught when I was growing up that uh, uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a white robe on and a big old set of white wings, and I'm going to fly all over heaven with these white wings. Unbiblical. You won't find that nowhere in Scripture. Uh, when you die as a Christian, uh, your mom, your dad, sister, whatever, you, you don't become angel. That's unbiblical. You never become an angel. You know why? Jesus never died for angels. Angels are unredeemable. You never become an angel. That's unbiblical. Not only that, <clears throat> you know, we, we watch commercials about heaven. See, you see people floating on clouds and they eating Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> unbiblical. Unbiblical. There's a lot of weird, bizarre stuff out there 
that we have, we have latched onto that is totally unbiblical. God want to give you a sure ground of hope. He wants your hope uh, 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 anchored on something that is sure, and it should be anchored in the Word of God. We're going to see a lot of things this morning. It's going to help you. Now, what does the Bible say about God and Bible prophecy? I love this. I love this. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. He said, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, that the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God says, I am God who declares the end of the story at the beginning. God said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do before I do it. That's prophecy. Not only that, but look at Isaiah 48, verses 3 through 5. God says, I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them, and I did them suddenly. God says, and they came to pass. God says, I'm God. I'm big. I'm bad. God says, I can do this. I can tell you the former things before they happen. Look at this next one. I love verse 5. He said, I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, God says, I showed it to you. And what's so beautiful, saying is that we have been included in God's program. God says, son, daughter, you spend time with me. I'm going to open up the future. to you. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Now, I'll tell you this dogmatically. I can tell you today how the world is going to end. And the way I do it, based on the authority of the word. The word of God does all the speaking. We just let the word do the talking. We can see the future. The future is not spooky or, uh, you know, God wants you to understand that. And we're going to see that as we go forward. Now, why should we study Bible prophecy? Why should Bible prophecy be a part of our uh, Christian diet? Uh, why should you do a personal study of Bible prophecy? Uh, we're gonna sh- I'm going to share a number of reasons. Reason number one, because we are commanded to study the word of God. And the message of Bible prophecy is in the word. You know, if you do a personal study of reading the Bible for one year, read the whole Bible, do you not know, saints, that 33% of what you read is prophetic in nature? See, a lot of times what we do, we just read the scripture, we clock in in the morning, we read the verses, and then we clock out, and we don't spend time to study. You need to slow down some time and study and read and, and look and go a little bit deeper. And as you do, God will open the scriptures to your heart. You know, it is his joy to show you his word. He, he wants you to know, God, help me. God, I want to know. He'll open the scriptures to you. He's waiting to open the scriptures. That's why I said the Holy Spirit. He will teach you things to come, the Bible says. He wants to open the scripture to you. Here's the reason number two. Why we should study Bible prophecy? Because Bible prophecy, I love this, it answers hard questions that no other study in the Bible answer. And I'm going to give you some examples of what I mean. Question number one, what happens to the dead after death? You know, the Bible is so clear about what happens to the righteous when they die and what happens to the unrighteous. Now, we know the scripture says, Paul said, when we die as a Christian, we what? Absent from the body and what? Present with the Lord. We know that. The scripture is clear on that. So when a righteous person dies, we bury the flesh. It's temporarily buried in the ground. I got to tell you that. But we immediately, your spirit and soul goes to heaven. Uh, scholars call that body an intermediate body. The spirit and soul, you, you're in heaven. You're fully alive. You're fully cognizant. You have memory there. On the other side of the corner, the Bible also tells about the death of the unredeemed. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter, uh, uh, chapter uh, 16, 
Jesus gave an account of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, that's not a parable. Some commentators put it as a parable. It's not a parable. Jesus gave an account of a rich man who died uh, and a, a beggar who died. Now, the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he didn't repent. Uh, but it's a real account. So the Bible said the rich man died, he was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Now this man, his flesh was in the earth waiting for the resurrection, but his spirit and soul or his intermediate body went to Hades and Sheol. And he was fully cognizant in Hades and Sheol of what he did. He remembered things. He talked about his brothers. Uh, hell is real. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, the death of the unredeemed and the death of the redeemed is, is spelled out in Bible prophecy. Here's another one. I really like this one. Where will Satan's end be? I shared this morning that when I was growing up, I, whenever I saw the devil, he had a red slicker suit on and a pitchfork in his hand. And he was tormenting the sinners, you know. Every time I saw him, he was vexing the sinners. Uh, I saw a movie by, uh, not a movie, it was a sitcom by Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. He was in this movie called uh, The Poor Devil. And in this movie, the, the commercial shows him, he's down in hell, and he's keeping the coals on the fire. He's just, just throwing coals on the fire. And I said, when I go to hell, that's the job I want. I'm going to keep them sinners burning, man. You know, I'm trying to get a good job when I go to hell. You know, I'm thinking, unbiblical. You won't find that scripture nowhere. And, and I tell you this, Satan does not control hell. Satan is not in hell. See, a lot of times we say uh, Satan in hell, we say God in heaven. Nope, that's, that's unbiblical. You know, hell was created by a loving God. Uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 25, 41, scripture says that, that, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God created hell. The devil don't want you to know that. This is a judgment where he will go. Uh, Bible prophecy answers that question. Here's another one. Will the earth be totally destroyed? Or in other words, who's going to push that red button that's going to set off every nuclear device on planet Earth? People are losing sleep over that, Pastor. They're worried. Especially now with Ukraine and all this stuff and, and Putin threatening uh, nukes. Who's going to do it? Well, let me tell you something. Mankind cannot destroy planet Earth. You know why? Because there's no prophecy on it. Not only that, the scripture says that the foundations of the earth standeth sure. You know, this world will always be here. God's going to renovate this current world. This world is going to come under fire baptism, and God's going to renovate planet earth. It's going to be the same earth, but it's going to be born again, renovated. And then Peter said, well, we in a few minutes, we look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Mankind cannot and will not destroy planet earth. It's not in the scriptures. Here's another one. Heaven and hell, are these real places? And the answer is absolutely yes. You know, the Bible gives us three compartments of heaven, the sky, the universe, and the third heaven, God's abode. The apostle Paul was called up to the third heaven, God's abode. Uh, the Bible gives us five compartments of hell, Abraham's bosom, Hades and Sheol, Tartarus, the abyss, and then the lake of fire. All places the Bible talk about in the underworld that are biblical, you can see them scripturally, and you see what happens in each one of those places. So the Bible is clear about heaven and hell. And here's the last one here. Are we living in the last days? And I believe everyone, you can answer that question. Are we living in the last days? Absolutely. Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, uh, all through the scriptures, the Bible gives us indicators and signs of the times that point to the last days. I've been teaching over 40 years, 40 years, 
And uh, I shared this morning that if there's ever been a time that I believe we have entered the end time season, I believe it now more than ever. I'm more convinced after 40 years of teaching and studying that we're living in the last of the end times. No doubt about it. And again, we need to understand where we are and allow it to affect us as Christians to reach a lost world. Now, let's go a little bit further. Uh, why should we study Bible prophecy? Because Bible prophecy gives hope to a dying world. It gives hope beyond this present world's problems. You know, I can tell when a Christian don't know the future by how they live in the present. A lot of Christians, Christians are anxious about the times. It tells me they don't know the end of the story. Look at this. This is an amazing passage here in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Paul said this. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul said, you can have hope in Christ, but if all your hope in Christ is only in this current world, Paul said, you are a miserable believer. In other words, you're selling yourself short because, listen, Jesus has paid the price for your future. Your future goes beyond this present world. This current world, saints, is contaminated by sin. Um, you buy a rose today, uh, like Valentine's Day or Mother's Day, and you buy a rose for your wife or mother. Uh, what they do? They have to, they have to, have to take, the, uh, take the thorns off, right? Whenever you see a thorn, you see the curse of Adam. It tells us we're still in a cursed world. Uh, Paul said, don't lock all of your hopes in this world. You better look beyond this world, and they give you hope and peace. Now, I must say this. It does not say uh, that, you know, here's the saying, you prophecy guys are so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. Uh, that's not true. You need to be heavenly minded that you are earthly good. You know, because I have a heavenly perspective, a future perspective, it makes me a better citizen today. Uh, I have a hunger and a passion for the harvest because I understand the future. I realize that it's closer than we think, so therefore I have a passion. I'm going after the harvest. I've shared in both services that I have, a, I have another ministry. We call it our airplane ministry. My wife and I, we're on a lot of planes from coast to coast, and I say, Lord, who will be my next disciple that's going <laughs> to sit on side of me in this plane? Who am I going to minister to, Lord? You know, I think about it all the time, you know, I mean, especially during turbulence, man. They, man, they, the knuckles turn white, man. They're they hanging on. You know, Jesus coming back, man. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Sometimes they ask me, sir, what do you do? I say, okay, you asked. <laughs> I have preached from coast to coast, 30,000 feet in the air, preaching the gospel. And you know something? People have questions. I, it's amazing. I had one lady, the whole trip Question after question after question on Bible prophecy. And I just ministered to her by God's grace. The Holy Spirit helped me. I just ministered to her. You know, the Bible says we should have an answer for every man that asks a reason of the hope that is in you. You know, your coworkers see you. They say, you know, uh, we're falling apart here, but you're so happy. Why are you so happy? Because you have a hope in you that the world is jealous of, and you must have an answer to help them. Here, Paul said, don't let all your hope in this world, in Christ, be only here. Here's another part of this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. John wrote this. And every man that have this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. You know something? Having a proper hope for the future, it's a purifying hope. It's a hope that will keep you holy. Again, I can tell when a Christian don't know the future by the way they live in the present. They serve God for five weeks. They backslide for three months. They serve God for two, two months and backslide a half a year. 
The reason why that happened because you don't know your future. You give up too easy. The devil, devil knows how to, he knows your buttons to pull, to push. And, and you, just, you just yield to him. You lay down to him. Listen, if you understand the end of the story, it's a purifying hope. It'll keep you on the straight and narrow. It'll keep you from backsliding because you realize, you know something, it is close. This is no time to be playing around, fooling around, doing this and that. Uh, this is time to reach a lost world. You need to know the future so you can reach your loved ones. Why should we study Bible prophecy? Because Bible prophecy, listen at this, reveals what happens to the wicked or the ungodly in the world. You know, God is not bashful when it comes to him talking about what he's going to do to rebels and those who have rejected him. God says, I'm not, I'm not bashful. I'm not going to back away from it. God says, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen to you if you don't yield to me. You know, we try to make excuses for God when we talk to our loved ones. You know, Pastor, I talk to my loved ones about hell. I do. I love them. I love them enough to tell them about hell. You know, the Bible says, the scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kiss of an enemy is deceitful. If you're going to be my friend, you better warn me. You better tell me. You better get out of your comfort zone and warn me about where I'm going. Well, here, this man here, I'm going to show you something amazing. The psalmist in Psalm 73, 3 through 23 the psalmist thought on the prosperity of the ungodly and almost turned his back on God. In other words, this, this psalmist, he got saved back in the Old Testament. And what happened, he looked and he saw some of his old buddies. They were still living for the devil. And he said he started watching them prosper. Have you ever been there? You got saved, you know? You said, well, I come to Jesus, man. Everything, all my bills are paid and I'm going to be so happy and just full of peace now that I'm serving Jesus. No, it don't work like that. Anybody can, can testify to that? No, he's going to be with you through the tough times and through the good times. Uh, but a lot of Christians that get saved, they are taking their eyes off of Jesus and they're looking at the wicked prosper. So the psalmist here, he's watching his wicked friends prosper and he said he almost turned his back on God. But something happened in his life. Look at this. However, because of the prophecy of judgment on the ungodly, which he learned after he went into the house of God, it caused him not to backslide. Look at, look at verse 17. He said, until I went into the sanctuary, or until I went to church, to the church of God, then understood I therein. He said, I almost backslid on God until I went to that prophecy conference Pastor had. <laughs> See, back in the Old Testament, they had prophecy conference, evidently, because he said, I almost backslid but I went to the sanctuary, and there I learned the wicked's end. He said, you know something? It's better to stay with God. Man, their end is doom and gloom. It's best to stay with God. I want to say to you today, saints, I don't care what you're going through. Don't turn your back on God. Don't turn your... You have the best thing going. Don't give up. Don't turn your back. Don't, don't let the devil wear you out. Hear me. Listen. Put your eyes back on the Savior. Put your eyes on the end of the story, what he has in store for you, and it'll give you strength. It'll keep you on the straight and narrow. It'll keep you holy. It'll keep you from backsliding. Put your eyes on, on him. Now, look at this. Here's the next one. Why should we study Bible prophecy? Because Bible prophecy reveals what happens to the righteous or the godly in the end. And I love this so much. God has 
told us in advance about our future. Look at this one. I love this. Second Peter chapter three, verse 13. Peter said this. He said, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein the world's right. Listen, saints, our future is going to be so beautiful. We're going to have new heavens. And what he's talking about there is the sky and the universe. Uh, everything that's been contaminated by Satan. You know, Satan is not in hell. His kingdom is in the lower heavens. He's called the prince of the air. His kingdom is in the Lord. That's why God's going God's to perfect all that. He's going to clean all that. Up. Anything the devil's contaminated, God's going to fix it and purge it in the end. So we look for new heavens and a new earth. This earth that we have today is going to experience a born-again experience. It's going to be the same earth, but it's going to be born again. I shared this morning. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? Uh, what kind of crown did they put in his forehead? Crown of thorns. The crown of thorns was the curse that entered into the earth as a result of Adam's sin. Everything under Adam's dominion was cursed. So the beautiful world became thorn infested. That's why whenever you see the thorn, you see the curse. Well, guess what? In the new earth, Revelation 22, 3, there will be no more curse. No more thorns and thistles in the new world. God's going to give us a brand new world full of righteousness. Here's one more. I love this one. I love this one. Revelation 21, verse 4. John wrote, uh, he says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. The old life is going to pass away. He said, God's going to wipe away tears from your eyes. There'll be no more death, no more funeral homes, no more graveyards, no more morticians, no more death. Can you imagine a world without death? He said, no more sorrow, nothing that would make you sorrowful in the, in the new world. No more crying. And he said, neither, uh, no more, uh, any more pain. You know something? No more Tylenol. No more Excedrin. Uh, you won't need any of that because there'd be no more pain. I shared this morning, uh, my wife and I, as I turned, uh, well, really started my 40s, Pastor. Uh, uh, I started, started singing the, the senior anthem. And the senior anthem goes like this. When you bend down to pick up something, you go, oh. That's the senior anthem. Young people, if Lord Terry, you hang on, you will be singing that song. And it happens automatic. I one day I said, oh, I said, where'd that come from? I told my wife, I said, where'd it come from? She said, I don't know. She bent down, ooh. Listen, saints, we have a body that is dying and decaying. Well, this coming a day, we're going to have a body that will have no more pain, no more angst. We're going to lose the senior anthem forever. It's going to be awesome. He said, and the former things shall pass away. Isaiah 65 says that the former things will no longer come into mind or come upon heart. I even believe this. Uh, even if you have loved ones that are not saved, when we go into the eternal world, the Bible says the former things will no longer come into mind. I don't believe I have no more, no more memory of our loved ones that didn't make it. Because that would be sorrowful in the new world. He said the former things will no longer come into mind or the, Greek, or the Hebrews says it won't come into heart. Listen, we're going to have a, a wonderful eternity. There'll be no more sorrow there. Let me give you another one. Here's the last one here on why she was studying Bible prophecy. Because Bible prophecy, I love this, inspires dedicated work and service for God. You know, many of us have been called in some capacity to do something for God. You may not be a preacher like I am or your pastor or the pastors here, 
But God saved you to serve. Every one of us. He want to use you in some capacity. Some of you have, God have given you the ability to write. He want to use you to write books to preach the gospel. Uh, some of you have the ability to sing. God said, I want to use you to sing. Uh, whatever capacity. Some of you have the ministry of helps. You, you just like helping people. God want to use you in some capacity. But see, a lot of times what we do, we feel that we're not qualified. God said, I want to use you to teach. He said, I'm not a teacher. But you're looking at a guy who was not a teacher. I shared this morning when I first got going, when God called me, I was a stutterer. Uh, 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 I mean, I could barely talk. My wife married me. I was a stutterer. I said, man, this woman really loved me, man, because I can b- 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 barely talk. I said, God, if you call me, I said, you got you to loose my tongue. And God loosed my tongue. I fought it. I mean, I fought it at the early on my marriage. I fought it. And, and the devil said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock you up there. You're going to be preaching. You're going to start stuttering. And I said, God, you got you to release me. And God released me. Let me tell you, all Father God wants is a yielded vessel. You may not feel qualified, but God will qualify you. All you do is yield to him. Uh, God, what is my purpose? God, why did you save me? How, what do you want to do to use me, God? What, what capacity? Let me tell you, when you yield to him, he will, he will do amazing things in your life. Well, how many remember Noah? Remember Noah? Noah was the first cruise ship builder. <laughs> in the book of Hebrews here, this is called the Hall of Faith, Hebrews eleven seven. It talks about Noah. It says, by faith... Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, that's prophecy, things not seen as yet, he was moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. God warned Noah with a prophecy. Noah, I'm going to destroy your world, but Noah, I want you to build this ark. So Noah, he was moved with this prophecy. It brought the fear of God on him. And this man was moved to obedience for 120 years. Can you imagine Noah building on this ark? These people seeing this massive thing. What are you doing, crazy man, Noah? Cuckoo, Noah. They mocked him. Noah, what are you doing? Noah kept on nailing on that gopher wood. God called me. God said, the world is coming to an end. He allowed prophecy to motivate him to stay uh, doing God's will. Let me tell you something. When you understand the future, it will help you to allow God to work in your life. It will help you to, to, uh, to, to find out God's purpose. If you don't know, ask God, God, what's my purpose? If you'd have told me 40, over 40 some years ago that I would be teaching Bible prophecy, I would have laughed you to scorn. Prophecy? What is prophecy? I shared this morning. When I grew up, I went to my mother sent me to church. I went to a Baptist church. In church, I was taught if you study Revelation, you would lose your mind. This was in the church. And let me tell you something, saints. When I became a Christian in my young adult life, I read all the books, a lot of books, but I would never go to that scary book of Revelation because I didn't want to lose my mind. But I did lose my mind. I lost my mind and got the mind of Christ. But I didn't go crazy. Let me tell you something. The devil, he comes at us all kind of ways. Let God use you in these latter days. Now, as I close, we're going to come down to the latter part of this message. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring in our prophecy chart. And you're going to see a little circle going to come in. And each circle comes in. I'm going to spend a few minutes explaining uh, each one of these prophecies. I'm going to take you from the cross of Christ all the way to eternity. Uh, First of all, we're currently in what's called the present world or present earth. Uh, The scripture says that this is a present evil world. The Bible says the whole world lieth in wickedness. 
We can attest to that fact. But we're going to look first at this first uh, uh, oval circle here. This is Christ in prophecy. Uh, do you not know, saints, that there were over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament that led Jesus to Calvary? Let me ask this question. How many pieces of silver was Jesus betrayed with? 30. Why not 50? Why not 45? Well, Zechariah said 30 pieces of silver would be his price that he would be prized at. Uh, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, what was he riding? A donkey. And this is the king of kings. Why wasn't he riding a, a stallion, a big charger, or some big Arabian, big old pretty horse, or Clydesdale, a big old Clydesdale? <laughs> because Zechariah said, behold, Israel, your king is coming to you lowly, riding on a donkey. Everything Jesus did leading to the cross was already prescripted in the Old Testament. His whole life. When I did a study on Christ and prophecy, the Old Testament came alive. It came alive. How many, be honest, how many of you ever thought the Old Testament was boring? Come on, be honest. Let me see your hands. See some hands. My hand up first. Man, Leviticus, he begat heaven, they begat them, we begat. Man, you're talking about boring until I looked at Christ and prophecy. Until I looked at the tabernacle and saw it from a Christian Christ perspective, the Old Testament exploded. There were over 300 prophecies that led him to Calvary. Uh, Luke here, 20, 24, Jesus rebuked the disciples there that was on the road to Emmaus because these men didn't believe the prophecy. The book of Acts says all the prophets gave witness of Jesus Christ. One more thing here. How many heard of the book and movie, The Da Vinci Code? A lot of Christians' shake, uh, faith was shaken by the Da Vinci Code. You know why? Because they didn't know Christ from the Old Testament. Nowhere in the Old Testament said that Jesus would marry Mary Magdalene. See, uh, the devil fed the church a lie saying that the church, they hid something from you. See, we like all these mysteries. You know, we like all these. No, no, no. Don't, don't get too spooky with the saints. The word of God is practical and clear. Don't, don't, don't worry about the mysteries that these people are talking about. You know, this was hid from you. Uh, National Geographic, uh, they spent millions of dollars bringing to the world the gospel of Judas. You know, Judas never had time to write a gospel. But people watched the program and they got deceived by it. You got to be very, very careful in these latter days. You got to stick with the word of God. Christ in prophecy. 300 prophecies led him to Calvary. There's over 500 prophecies for his second coming. Now let's go a little forward. I'm going to give you three more uh, circles here. First, you see the church age, the rapture, and then the judgment seat of Christ. Here, today, where are we in prophecy? We're in the church age, the dispensation of the church. Starting in the book of Acts, verses 1 through 22, we're still in the book of Acts. In the book of Revelation, we're only in chapters 2 and chapters 3, no further. We're not in chapter 6. We're not, don't let anybody tell you we're in the tribulation now. That's a lot of YouTube guys. I saw a thing the other day, guys saying, we're in chapter 6 right now. I said, no, we're not in chapter 6. Uh, the church is not there. Now, what's going to, uh, Christ is using the body of Christ now, but what's going to happen, what's going what's to remove the church from this age is the event called the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Here, the Bible prophesies that Christ is going to come back. We're going to meet him in there. He's coming to call up his church. Every one of us that are born again will be taken up immediately into his presence. We'll be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye from mortal to immortality. <laughs> Scripture says he would change this vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glories. But man, I can't wait, man. I want my brand new body, pastor. I want my body. 
This rapture will usher us into his presence. You know, there's so much debate in the church about which view, pre-trip, mid-trip, pre-wrath, or post-trip. So much debate about it that we miss the blessings of this event. I do hold to a pre-trip rapture view because the scripture stands that, I mean, it stands the test of scripture. Uh, The church is not called to the tribulation because the tribulation is an Old Testament prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, It's the conclusion of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. The church was not even around when Daniel received that prophecy toward Israel. If you put the church in the tribulation, you're messing with dispensational accuracy or prophetic timing. So the church will not be a part of that because it's not a part of of God's prophecy. As the church is raptured, we're going to a wonderful event in in the heavens. Uh, This is called the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. We will be caught up to go before the judgment seat. Every Christian here will be judged by Christ for your work, your service, your labor as a believer. You say, wait a minute, brother, I thought we were already judged. That's true. You were judged judiciously at the cross. But this judgment is different. This is not a judgment of your condemnation, meaning you're going to lose salvation. This is totally different. This is for your works after salvation as a believer. Every one of us is going to stand before Christ and give an account for what we do for him. Some people, the Bible says, some Christians will lose rewards. Many Christians will obtain reward. There are five crowns the saints can obtain. I shared this morning, I'm going for the crowns. Watch Brother Perkins in heaven have them five crowns stacked on my head, walking through heaven. <laughs> I said, Brother Perkins, that sounds kind of prideful, man. Yeah, you know why I want those crowns? Because I want to lay them back at his feet as a gift to the Savior. Lord, because of you, I've done a work for you. Lord, because of you, dear God, I'm, I'm born again. Lord, this is a gift I want to lay back at your feet. Some Christians won't have nothing to give him. I want to have something to give him. This is one reason why you need to know what God has called you to do. Uh, what you do will count in heaven. Let's go a little further. Bring it back down to the earth. Now, the next event, once the church is raptured, there is an event on earth called the seven-year tribulation. Uh, This is a time Jesus said that this world has never seen nor never ever will see again. A time of great wrath of God. Uh, You have uh, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven vile or bold judgments. It's going to shake the world. As a matter of fact, these are the four horse riders of the apocalypse. This is the beginning of the first four seals. Jesus, our Savior, the Lamb of God, actually releases these seals into the tribulation. This first horse rider comes on the scene, represents Antichrist coming on the scene. Guess what? Jesus will release Antichrist into the tribulation. Jesus will. You read it. Revelation chapter 6, verse number 2. Jesus, he's going to open the first seal, and this first white horse rider is going to come out. This represents Antichrist. He has a bow, but no arrows. He's going to come on the scene in deception. He's he's, He's going to deceive people with peace. Daniel said, Daniel 8, 25, that the Antichrist will, he will, he will destroy many by peace. Well, Jesus is going to let him in. And then you got the trumpet judge. It's unbelievable. Then you're going to have Antichrist, the man of sin. He's going to wreak havoc for seven years in the tribulation. God's going to allow him to do his bidding in the earth. Men who rejected Christ, they're going to come under Antichrist's uh, uh, charismatic uh, charm. And many people will literally be damned as a result of it. Not only that, but the Antichrist will institute the Antichrist's economic system, the mark of the beast. 
And I want to say to you, saints, uh, you know, as a Christian today, you don't have to fear the mark of the beast. I, I shared in both services that today we have a problem in the church. Uh, a lot of Christians are 666 paranoid. Uh, and I'm going to give you an example of that. You're going to see whether, you, whether you, you're that person or not. Uh, you go to the grocery store, and your change come back $6.66. What do you do? Uh, give me a pack of double mint. Um, uh, give me some orange juice. Uh, I'm getting off that cursed number, man. That's Antichrist's mark, man. My wife went to, my wife went to Michael's, uh, and, the, and the lady said, uh, ma'am, uh, uh, do you want to buy something else? She said, no, why? She didn't look at your receipt. $6.66. My wife said, nope. <laughs> my wife, she married to a prophecy teacher. She know. You know, I love to get those kind of numbers because then I can preach the gospel to them. <laughs> I said, you know, so, oh, 60, let me explain it to you. I use it. I use it to preach the gospel. Pastor, I would love to have a license plate with 666 on it. <laughs> Man, I drive around town preaching the gospel. I would. Let me say this to you, saints. We do not have to fear the mark of the beast because the church won't be here during that time. Not only that, I didn't share this this morning, but I share it now. During the seven-year tribulation, the mark of the beast does not come into the tribulation until three and a half years into the tribulation. The first three and a half years, Antichrist won't institute the system. It'll be there, but he won't institute it. Not until the mid part. It will only have a three and a half year window of influence in the tribulation. We'll be in heaven at the judgment seat while this stuff is going on. We won't have to fear it. I'll say this. Technology is not evil, and you cannot ascribe evil to technology. Uh, it's, it's whose hands the technology is in. Okay? So you don't have to fear mark of the beast. Uh, use this to preach to a, to a, to a lost world uh, that things are being set up. Now, I'll take you back to the heavens. We're going to see the marriage supper, the second coming of Christ, and the battle of Armageddon. Now, look at this. I was so excited to find out that there will be food in heaven. <laughs> Revelation 19, chapter uh, 19, verse 7 through 10, this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Every born-again believer, we will be a part of this banquet spread in heaven. The Bible says, blessed are those who are called, who are invited to be a part of this marriage supper in heaven. And I said this morning, I don't care where I am as long as I'm at the table. It's going to be awesome, saying We're going to have a wonderful time of fellowship with our Lord in heaven. It's a banquet spread in heaven. Now, as our food digests, we're going to literally come back with Christ and what's called the second coming of Christ. Uh, this is Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. This is the actual return of Christ. Now, I talked to you this morning earlier about uh, when Jesus came in uh, earlier, he rode in what, on a donkey? Remember that? Well, his donkey riding days are over. Second coming of Christ, he's coming back riding a white horse, and it's going, to be a, it's going to be a magnificent horse, I guarantee you. He's coming back, uh, 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 the Bible says he's coming back to judge and to make war. The Bible says he's coming back triumphant. He won't be a passive lamb. He's not coming back, you slap his cheek and give it the other cheek, them days over too. <laughs> he's coming back as a conquering king. He's coming back to take authority. He's coming back to shut down the government and kingdom of Antichrist. And not only is he coming back, but he's coming back with a great army. And this army will comprise we that were raptured and glorified. We, the redeemed, are coming back with Christ in the second coming. And not only the redeemed, but he's also coming back, the Bible says, with all the holy angels. It's going to be triumphant. And Christ come back with the saints. We right now glorified. And look right here. Look, look right there. That's Brother Perkins right there, man. <laughs> 
I showed all three services. That's Brother Perkins riding. I'm gonna come out smooth, man. It's, it's gonna be pretty, man. Watch. I shared this morning my horse, Tennessee Walker, man. He's gonna be stepping like that, man. It's gonna be awesome. I told him this morning, and I'm gonna tell you, I believe this so much, I've already named my horse. Yeah. You come to the table, I tell you the name of my horse. People have been telling me from coast to coast the names of their horse. I want to tell you, name your horse, saints. We're going to ride out of heaven triumphant with Christ. Now, I will say this. We come back with Christ. Now, we won't actually fight. We will be the armies, but we're coming back as his administration to help him govern in the millennial kingdom. We're going to see that in a few minutes. Now, as a result of the second coming, there will be a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. This battle will be a battle like none other. This is the battle that would be a direct result of the second coming of Christ. The Bible says so much blood will come up to the horse's bridle. Uh, Jesus Christ is going to shed blood of his enemies. Another name for Armageddon is called the Supper of the Great God. This is going to be God's judgment of the wicked, Antichrist and his armies. And the Bible said that the birds of prey will eat the flesh of men. One other thing. This battle is a geographical battle. What that means is that this battle will not happen in the United States. It won't happen in China. It's going to happen in Israel in the Valley of Megiddo. It's a geographical battle. So when Jesus is coming back, he's coming back geographically to the land of Israel. He's coming back to deliver the nation of Israel. And this is going to be the battle. Now, I'm going to take you back to the chart. We're almost done. Now we're going to look at this next dispensation called the Millennial Kingdom. When Christ comes back in the second coming, he's going to come back. He's coming back here, second coming, to set up his government. Right before he sets up his government, the Bible says Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit. In other words, Satan will be bound for the whole thousand-year duration. He'll have no influence in the millennium to uh, tempt mankind. What's going to happen? Jesus coming back to set up his government. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to be Lord, King of Kings, ruler, potentate, prime minister, president, head of state. He will be king, and we're going to rule with him. We, the saints that are glorified, he will dispatch us all over the world to have him govern. You know, this millennial kingdom is a precursor to the eternal world. Uh, the Bible says he's going to change the nature of the beast. The lion will not eat flesh in the millennium. Leo the lion will eat straw in the millennium. The Bible says a lamb and a wolf will lie together, and the wolf and the lamb will not fight. The, the wolf will not eat the lamb. The Bible says God's going to cause men to live as long as a tree. It's going to be awesome. This is just a precursor to eternity. The millennium is just awesome. But Christ, uh, based on Isaiah 9, 7, he will sit on the throne of David. And the governments would be on his shoulder, full authority. Because when he came the first time, they hailed him as king. But three days later, they said, give us Barabbas, kill him, crucify him. So he never fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. This is a literal prophecy that our Savior must, must fulfill. Now, let's move a little further. We're almost done. Take you back to the heavens, and I'm bring you down. Uh, we're going to see two things here, the white throne judgment and the reality of hell. Well, here, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, this is the judgment of the unredeemed. This is where the sinners stand before God. Men and women who have rejected God's love advance, they will give an account for their rejecting God. This judgment here is so severe. Uh, this really puts a, a burden on my heart for the loss. Uh, you know, sinners going to stand before God and every one of them will be eternally damned. Uh, what's going to happen, every one of them will be cast into the lake of fire. Not a one of them will be saved. Every one of them will be judged by the God of heaven. 
And what's going to happen, uh, God's going to, let me show you, I'll show you one thing right quick and then, because I'm, I'm looking at my time. Let me show you this. Uh, right before the great white throne judgment, uh, from Hades and Shield, this is where the unredeemed goes now. Right before that, God's going to resurrect the last resurrection. And those people that have died, uh, the rich man of Lazarus Day, all of them will be resurrected back in their flesh. Spirit, soul, and body, they're going to stand before God in their flesh. And then they will be cast spirit, soul, and flesh into the lake of fire. Yeah, this is a real severe judgment. Every one of them will be cast into the lake of fire. This is one message that gives me a burden for the loss. Uh, I have a passion for the harvest. I have a passion for my family. I want to say to you today, if you got family members you've been praying for for 20 years, keep praying for them. Don't give up on them. Don't stop. Who are we to stop praying for our loved because you frustrated and you tired of them? Man, I've been praying for him, man. But I'm just tired. Go to hell. <laughs> we do that. Thank God Jesus didn't do that to you. Be careful before you send somebody to hell. Be careful. You got to hear me, saints. Hear me. This is a reality. Jesus died to give us life. And you cannot, you have no right to send anybody there. I don't care who they are. All they need is the same Jesus that you received. What changed you was Jesus. I don't care how they are. I shared this morning, we have a lot of knuckleheads in our family. Everybody everybody got knuckleheads in your family. I've been praying for these knuckleheads a long time. Some of them knuckleheads have become Christians. I'm still praying for a lot of them, but I'm, I'm not stopping I'm not giving up on them because I want them to understand that you have a hell uh, to shun and a heaven to gain. You got loved ones, don't give up on them. Pray for them. Keep praying. Women, you've been praying 20 years for your husband. Keep praying for your husband. Love him. Let him see Christ in your life. But you pray for that man. Don't give up on him. Don't stop praying for him. God can reach him. You got son or daughters that backslid and they're out there doing their thing. Pray for them. God will save them. Now, I can't leave you in hell. I got to take it to the last part of the study. Our eternity with God. Uh, we're going to spend eternity upon a brand new earth, the Bible says, wherein dwells righteousness. And this is the eternal world that we're going to be a part of. Revelation 21, 22 gives us the full account of, of what the new Jerusalem is going to look like. We will be a part of that new world. It's going to be beautiful, saints. Uh, we're going to be there. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. This is where the redeemed dwelling places will be. Uh, I shared this morning, I'm going to have my house there in the New Jerusalem. Pastor's going to come over to my house and fellowship. I'll go to Pastor's house and fellowship. Oh, it's going to be awesome. The Bible says the streets of gold there, 12 foundations. The Bible says no more curse. And what's beautiful, saints, the Bible says in the New Jerusalem, the tree of life will be upon planet Earth. Now, the tree of life was the tree of life that God blocked Adam and Eve from eating of after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God put a cherub and stopped them from eating of the tree of life. But from Genesis, the tree of life goes stealth. But then at the end of the book, God brings the tree of life back on the new earth. And the scripture says that we would be able to partake of the tree of life. The Bible said this tree of life is going to bear, bear 12 manner fruits and yield a different fruit every month. And I said this morning, every month, new fruit. Brother Purge going to be at the tree, man. <laughs> you, watch, you watch me. I'm telling you right now, it's gonna be, I'm going to be there. New fruit. Brother Purge is right there. The Bible said we'll have a right 
to the tree of life. In closing, the latter part of this, you know, we're going to have dwelling places. We're going to have houses in the new world. See, we made it so spooky and so, so spiritual that we don't see the practicality of eternity. You know, eternity will be tangible, touchable, physical, touchable eternity. Pastor, on, in my, my dwelling place, my mansion, Jesus promised me, I'm going to have a door on that place. You can open the door, come in, in and out. I told him, told him this morning that out front of my house, I'm going to have two big old lions, Leo and Cleo. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm telling, Father, I want two lions out front of my house. They're going to be beautiful lions, two big ones. I just see them already, big old manes, just beautiful. And my lion won't hurt you. Nope, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be all peace throughout eternity. We're going to have a physical eternity in the new heavens and the new earth that's going to be so beautiful. Listen, saints, our eternity with God is beautiful. This is why Jesus died on Calvary's cross to give you life, not only to give you strength and peace now, but he died to give you an eternal future with him. Don't sell it so short. Don't give up so quick. Don't let go. Allow God to use you. I want you to bow your hearts. Father God, we love you, and I just I thank you today for the word of truth. Lord, I pray today that we share something that will stir the hearts of your people. Lord, let it challenge us. Let it convict us, oh God. Let it move us to God to allow you to work in our lives in these latter days. Lord, give us a heart and a passion for the lost. Help us to see the world the way you see them. Father, give us in these latter days, give us, oh God, your heart. Give us your heartbeat for the lost. Lord, if there's anyone here today that don't know you, dear God, don't let them leave this place without Jesus. Don't let them leave this place without Jesus. And Pastor, if I can, can I do this? If there's anyone here, can I, if there's anyone here today, you, you're, not, you're not sure of your walk with God. I want to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. If you're not saved today, Jesus can save you and give you eternal life. On the sound of my voice, while all heads are bowed, you say, Brother Perkins, I'm not a Christian. I've heard the word today. It's challenged me. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord. If that's you, simply raise your hand. Let me just see your hand. Just raise your hand. I want to, I want to receive Christ today. Is there anyone? You're not born again, but you want to be. Listen, there was no accident that you're here today. God set you up to give you peace. He set you up to give you life. Is there anyone? I'm not a Christian, but I want to be. Is there anyone? Okay, Father, today we're here with the family of God. Lord, bless your people, I pray. Let this message stir our hearts, oh God, to do your bidding in the earth. And Lord, we thank you for this time now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't God good? You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.